Welcome to Survive and Thrive, where Oklahomans reflect on COVID-19 and racism. Survive and Thrive is a 24-episode podcast series where our team will interview Oklahomans across a diverse spectrum as how to survive and thrive during the twofold crisis of the health and racial pandemics. Oklahomans are no stranger to tragedy. The state's history is checkered with traumas such as the Dust Bowl, Tulsa Race Massacre, Trail of Tears, and the Oklahoma City bombing. Out of those tragedies was born the Oklahoma Standard. Now, as the state once again grapples with hardship, this time with COVID-19 and racial heartache, we will hear from multiple Oklahomans who must once again learn to survive and thrive. We are your hosts, Carolee Langford and Brooklyn Wayland. Please be advised the current winter storm making its way through Oklahoma has forced us to adapt how we normally conduct interviews. This interview was recorded over Zoom and may not adhere to the same audio quality in previous episodes. We are here with Mike Wayland, who is the principal of a rural Oklahoma school out in Cushing, Oklahoma. First off, I know things have been super crazy, extremely unpredictable right now, but how have you been? in general during this pandemic? Well, pretty good. We've been pretty fortunate here. Um, you know, as far as our family and everything's been pretty well healthy. Uh, we've had a, a few little instances with it, but not bad. So we've we've been great. And uh, here at our school, we've been pretty fortunate also. Um, to We've had a lot of quarantines, but we haven't had a lot of positive cases. And we have only had one serious case that uh, we were really concerned about. So that all that being said, besides that, doing pretty well. Good, good. So can you tell us a little bit about your upbringing? Well, um, you know, raised in a small town. Uh, Both my parents were educators. So from a very young age, you know, I was taught that education is very, very important. And so that was one thing that was um, pounded into my head, I guess that you'd say, growing up. And, uh, you know, there was never a a chance of me not going to college or me not going to further my education because that's what was expected in our household. And um, so uh, just doing that, I grew up, I went to Oklahoma State University and uh, majored in uh, secondary science education. Uh, went on to get my master's degree at uh, Southwestern Oklahoma State University in administration. I've since, uh, you know, went in and uh, taught science and coached football and track for many years. Uh, and then I became a high school principal at Bristow which I was there for a while. Uh, During that stint over there, I also accepted a job and I was the um, superintendent at a dependent school district called Oak Grove. Uh, Mm -hmm. Did that for um, several years uh, before finally ending up back here at Cushing, kind of what I consider my home because this is where I started teaching. And so I was really excited to get back to this community. Very good. Absolutely. Now you went out of education for a little bit. What made you decide that you wanted to get back into it? Well, I think uh, I got out because I was frustrated, uh, pretty frustrated with the situation at that time. Uh, financing for education in Oklahoma was, was really bad. Um, I think uh, public schools kind of got a bad rap during that time. And so I was pretty frustrated and, uh, and had an opportunity to go into a, a field uh, outside of education that was kind of interesting to me. So I tried that for a couple of years. And I think because of that is the reason I'm back in. I think it made me really realize that uh, uh, this is what I need to be doing. You know, I I believe that I'm not very good at a lot of things, but I believe dealing with kids is one thing that I can do pretty well. And so uh, it's it really made me look at things differently. And uh, I am 
I'm in a much better place now, and I'm much more excited about being in education because I know it's a tough job. There's not a lot of people willing to do it because the pay's not great, but uh, I think it's very important. Absolutely. So tell me, how has it been trying to not only navigate a pandemic for yourself, but also for an entire school system? Well, you know, it's been difficult. The main reason is, of course, you care so deeply about your kids and your staff members. You don't want any of them to get sick. You know, um, I said that we've been pretty fortunate, but we have had some bad um, instances. I have a teacher here that um, lost her mother Sunday Mm -hmm. morning and that afternoon lost her husband in the same day. And both of them were COVID related. And so that was very difficult to watch her go through that. And um, but, you know, as a staff, we rallied around her and the kids rallied around her. And I think she's better off because she is here Mm -hmm. uh, and we're all here to support her. But it's been difficult because you got to walk that line of making sure that we're still giving our kids a good quality education. But also in the situation, we don't want to make anyone uh, put them in jeopardy of getting sick, getting hurt and everything. So it's been pretty difficult. And uh, and it really makes it more difficult when you have so many different, I guess, philosophies or how people look at it. You know, some people believe this, some people believe that. Mm -hmm. And so you're kind of right in the middle because you got to try to you've got to respect all those decisions, but you still have to do what you feel is best for everyone involved. Right. Absolutely. Tell me what have been some of the biggest challenges that you faced during this time? Well, definitely. I can tell you as a, as an administrator, just the uh, amount of time it takes to go back and contact trace all of these cases. You know, uh, I was just looking at some stuff today while I was here in the office working. And um, we've quarantined over 405 kids throughout the year. We've quarantined that many people. So each one of those, we have to go back and contact Trace first hour, second hour. Who did they go to lunch with? You know, what what did they do after school? You know, and and we spend, I mean, there are honestly days that I come into this office and I do nothing but contact Trace for the entire day. I don't do anything dealing with education. So that's definitely been probably the most difficult part about this whole pandemic. So you did talk about how you are in person. For the most part, everyone is. What decisions kind of led to to that discovery that you were going to for sure be in person and keep that in-person instruction? Kind of walk us through that thought process. Well, we started out, that was a you know, big conversation we had early. Um, you know, no one really knew what to expect. They didn't know what the numbers were going to do there in the fall. And um, and so we were really looking at it. We didn't know if we were going to get one week, we were going to get two weeks or, or not. You know, we didn't know. But what we decided to do here is we were going to look at our community numbers. Because, you know, being in Payne County, which also has Stillwater in it, you know, sometimes our numbers are not really in line with what's going on 30 miles, you know, away in Stillwater with, uh, you know, all the students there and everything. So we just decided we were going to really look at what was going on in our community. Our superintendent and assistant superintendent both spend lots of time watching all those numbers, communicating with the uh, county health department to make sure that our numbers are correct. And we just decided we were going to do a sliding scale on our numbers versus the rest of the county. And when we felt like we got out or above those numbers, then and that's the point that we'd really have to look at closing the doors and going virtual. But we did, like I said, we, you know, I, we looked at our research, too, as far as how many people we've had in quarantine. Like I told you, we've quarantined over 405 people. But mm-hmm. out of those 405 people, we've only had 49 positive cases. And tracing through that, out of all that, only 13 
we can trace back that actually were spread at school. And out of those 13, 10 of those were either in basketball or wrestling. As far as in a classroom setting, because we're wearing our masks, we're social distancing, we can't trace one. We haven't been able to trace one positive contact that happened here in the classroom. And with that information, now we've sat down and we've talked and we feel safer because we believe that we're trying to do things right here. And we think that we don't look at our normal day-to-day classroom activity as being a, a super spreader. And so that's why we've been able to stay in face-to-face pretty much throughout the whole year. We did take a week uh, and a half, the week before Thanksgiving and the next few days into Thanksgiving, we took those off and went virtual due to we had some staff members out and we didn't have enough substitute teachers and everything to run things. So we just felt like it was a good time to um, back off. Let's kind of let some of these people heal up, get through their quarantines and everything. And since then, we've been pretty lucky. And I think it's all because we've really focused on what's going on in our community and trying to do what's in the best interest of everyone here. So have you had a hard time mandating masks in your school in a state that has kind of refused to make a statewide mask mandate to help back you. Yeah, it, it was, well, I, you know, I'm going to back up. It really hasn't been that difficult here at our school. Um, for the most part, our students are awesome. They, they wear, now, yes, we have to go around, pull up, pull your mask up occasionally and all, but they've been supportive. I think that stretch from March until August, I think those kids realized that's not what they wanted. They didn't want to be stuck at home. They want to be here at school. And yeah. uh, and so I think they're willing to do whatever it takes to be here and to try to find some type of normalcy out of you know day to day. You know, you're always going to have a few people here and there that, you know, we're not going to do this. We're not going to do that. But luckily here in, in this community, for the most part, they've been very supportive. They understand what we're trying to do. We're trying to keep the doors open. And so they're willing to do what it takes to do that. So. Kind of switching topics a little bit, Oklahoma has gone through so many different tragedies. Uh, The Trail of Tears, the Tulsa Race Massacre, the Dust Bowl, the Oklahoma City bombing, just to name a few. How do you feel that those tragedies have shaped the people of Oklahoma? Well, you know, it's hard to say. I think, um, I think number one, I mean, you know, you know, everybody thinks of Oklahoma, you know, number one, they think of not the most uh, uh, affluent state, you know, and, and that's no that's no secret. We're not. But uh, I do think that people do think of Oklahomans as having a really hard work ethic. And I think people take pride in that. Uh, and so I think when we have tragedy, it's such as the bombing and, and stuff like that. I think the people are willing to go and do whatever they can to help someone else out. And I think that showed, uh, you know, we, we saw it happen during the bombing. I think because we're, we're a state that... Um, is more, I guess, would have said our history has been more centered around hard work. I think that hard work and respecting the man next to you, I, I think that goes a long way in Oklahoma. And I know it's that way, you know, a lot of places. And I'm kind of blinded also because I look at it from a, a rural standpoint. You know, I've spent most of my time in a rural town. I mean, you know, you talk about the, uh, the bombing, you talk about racism and everything. I don't see as much of that in my setting because... It's a little different when you are in a small town, you grow up with one another, you know everyone's mother, their father, their brothers, sisters, you know, or you feel like more family no matter what your race is. And, and also, I'm a little bit blinded as far as that goes, just because of where I've been raised and where I chose to raise my family and where we live. But um, I think overall, Oklahoma is a, a great state. 
I think it's a, a, a proud people. And I think they do care very much about the person next to them, regardless of race or religion or, or whatever their upbringing may be. So in this podcast, we've we've also been talking a lot about the Oklahoma standard and the term Oklahoma strong. What does that mean to you? Well, the Oklahoma standard is definitely something when I think of that, I think of people who are willing to do whatever for each other. You know, we see we've seen it over and over again. You know, we've seen it when during the bombing, how many people were down there wanting to help? How many people were there? The people who came in from out of state, you know, never went hungry because people were feeding them. I mean, you know, as well as I do in Oklahoma right now, you have a funeral or something like that. Later that evening, there's going to be food everywhere, wherever that house is going to be. And that's how they in there. I don't think they're just doing it to to, I guess, help the family as much as. They just feel like it's right and it helps them feel like they're being a part of it and they're they're there to help out. So I think that to me, that's the Oklahoma standard is people are always willing to step up and help the fellow person out during tragedy. So let's talk a little bit about the racial heartache that we're seeing today. How can Oklahomans be honest about our checkered history, specifically talking about like racial incidents? And how do we grow from that? The biggest thing that we have to do as a state and as a community here and everything is, number one, I really believe we can't hide from our past. You know, I I was told one time that, uh, you know, that really stuck hard with me is, you know, history doesn't repeat itself, but it sure does rhyme sometimes, you know. And Mm -hmm. I don't I think if we don't spend the time to look back at what's happened in the past, then we can't correct and move forward. So that's the first thing is to realize that we've had problems in the past. And I would hope and pray that each and every person in Oklahoma at some point in time would realize, hey, we don't want to continue down the path that we are because it's not going the right direction right now and with everything going on. So, you know, I hope that we can step back and look at our past. Number two, learn how to respect one another. You don't have to agree with one another. No one's ever going to agree 100%, but we have to be able to respect one another's opinion and learn from each other's opinion. And uh, I think that's mm-hmm. one thing we try to do here at Cushing High School is we talk to our kids all the time about with everything going on that we've had, you know, the the election and, and all that. We talk about it, that it's okay not to have the same opinion as the person next to you. You need to respect one another and move on. And hopefully we learn from one another and become better people. The biggest thing of all is, and I think it's probably, that's why I'm, one of the reasons I do what I do is education. We have to educate people. You know, we have people running around spouting off this or that, and they're uneducated. They don't know. They don't know the facts. Mm-hmm. They don't know what's happened in the past. That's why we yes. must educate everyone around. And the more education everyone gets, the better off we're going to be in the future. Absolutely. So how do you ensure that your students, despite their background, race, or ethnicity, how do you ensure that they feel safe and supported in a world that does anything but that right now? Yeah, that, that's that's the interesting question. You know, we here, what we try to do is, you know, I had a goal when I came in here three years ago. My, my number one goal, and I think you can ask any kid that goes to this high school, our number one goal here is to be the kindest school in Oklahoma. That's what we want to be. And uh, we start simple things. We start simply by opening the doors for people, saying good morning and stuff like that. And all my teachers, all our staff, we model that every day. And it's amazing the difference that you can see around our school already, just little things like that. And I believe that when you can create an environment like that, where you just everyone feels respected and feels understood, 
then I think that's when we can get to that point where we can put some of that stuff behind us and we can move forward and we can grow as, as one, as Americans, as Oklahomans, as Cushing Tigers, whatever it may be. You know, uh, I think that's what it has to do is just, tre- just creating that overall environment of kindness and respect. And if we can do that, I think it'll go a long way. So you talk about how education is, is key in all of this and in kind of grappling with our history that is so checkered. Personally, I, I never learned about the Tulsa Race Massacre until well into my high school years. Uh, and it certainly wasn't called that at the time. What is the education system's, what is the role of the education system when it comes to teaching certain things like this that Oklahoma has historically liked to push under the rug? Well, first of all, let me tell you, I had not heard about it until I was in college. Yeah. I was never taught about it at all and everything. So I understand where you're coming from. Again, that, that's one thing that uh, hopefully recently in the last few years, uh, the state has tried to uh, take some steps in the right direction. You know, I've you know kind of looked through this and everything and, uh, you know, nowhere, let's say talking about the uh, Tulsa uh, race massacre. You're right. I, I spoke with some people actually today some um, some of our representatives, and I had s- several of them still call it the Tulsa Race Riot instead of the Tulsa Race mm-hmm. Massacre. Mm-hmm. And that's how I, it was taught to me when I first heard of it. And that's just something we have to learn that that's not exactly a true depiction of what happened. And mm-hmm. so we need to really dive into it and learn more about it. As far as that goes, you know, in, in the schools, like it was saying, they uh, I did some research and uh, found out that the state has not actually passed a law that says that schools must teach the Tulsa race massacre in, in schools, but they have taken the steps as far mm-hmm. as they put them in the curriculum and the standards, okay? In fact, uh, the State Department of Education mandated that the Tulsa race massacre be taught in Oklahoma history all the way back in the year 2000, okay? Then they went on and they mandated it in U.S. history in the Oklahoma curriculum in 2004. So unfortunately, you should have learned about it, mm-hmm. but there was still some feed. I think the problem is, is the fear of how to teach it. I think a lot yeah. of teachers shied away from that because it is a very sensitive topic. And I, I don't think I don't think they understood how to do it. And so they were fearful of how to do it properly in their classroom. But, you know, finally, I mean, it was it wasn't until 2009 till the Tulsa Race Massacre was even put in textbooks. 2009 was the first year that was actually implemented into textbooks. So all that being said, I haven't found anywhere where it's been passed by law. But once the State Department puts the curriculum together and sets their standards, they have to be approved by the legislature. Once those standards are then approved, then it does become law. We do have to legally teach that. So I think that is a step in the right direction. I know that they also talked to uh, Dr. Janine Barnett at the uh, State Department today, and she told me that they are in the process of working with different curriculum to help teachers understand how to present this in class, how to teach it to kids. And I think once they get that going and people feel more comfortable speaking about it, I think it's going to make us a better state overall. And so just a little bit more on that, honestly, teachers are fearful to teach the topic and I can understand that it's a very sensitive topic and it's just now really being introduced into the Oklahoma school system. But how do we combat that? Where do we start? What is that supposed to look like for Oklahoma? 
Well, I, I think just kind of back to what we were talking about a minute ago, I think the biggest thing is educating those teachers on how, how to handle that. You know, we right. have to give them the tools. You know, that's one, of the, that's one of the worst things about the state of Oklahoma as far as education goes is that the legislators all about wanting to get out there and, and put mandates in and require schools to do this and schools to do that. Number one, they don't hardly ever give the funding for those. You know, they're famous for unf- unfunded mandates mm-hmm. and also giving them the support they need. How do, how do you do that? So them saying that with talking to the State Department today and hearing that, the, you know, they're in the process of trying to get that stuff together for our teachers, that encourages me. I think uh, once we get that and those teachers start understanding the best way to implement that so we can get it out for all of our students to understand learn, let them make their own decisions, and hopefully make decisions that will change our future. I think that's where it all starts. Again, everything. And, you know, I know it sounds funny, but I'm an educator and I believe it. And my parents raised me that way. You know, it's just like poverty. You know, we have a lot of poverty in the state of Oklahoma. I firmly believe that there's only one thing that can break the cycle of poverty, and that's education. And so we have to educate our students, but we also have to educate ourselves on a daily basis to make sure that we're staying up on top of things and making sure we're putting ourselves in position to um, help improve our students' lives. So once again, uh, this is very obvious that Oklahoma is facing hardships right now um, when it does come to the COVID-19 pandemic and the racial upheaval that we're seeing. What do you expect from Oklahomans after this, given their history with tragedy? I'd love to sit here and tell you that I think that we're just going to learn learn from it. We're going to blossom and we're going to become better people. But I can't guarantee that. You know, again, the, the best thing that we can do is continue to, to work hard and educate, create kindness, create respect. And hopefully we learn in the future. You know, sometimes, you know, you're talking to a guy who I, I'm not extremely old. I'm, you know, 50 years old, but I'm not as young as you guys are, too, you know, and uh our genera- my generation is pretty set in the, what it thinks. Unfortunately, you know, I have a lot of I have a lot of close friends that would, you know, tell me I'm wrong on this and wrong on that and everything. They're just when you get older, you tend to be more set on your beliefs and everything. So I'm really hoping that your generation is the one that comes and helps and changes and makes this place a better place. So, kind of along that topics, how do you think Oklahomans? along with the rest of the nation, can change our path now, rather than going back to normal, what do you think the new normal is going to look like? Well, that's tough. You know, we we get hung up in that term normal. You know, I think if you look back, again, you can go generational and everything. My parents, when they went to school, they still, when they were in elementary, they still used an outhouse. You know, (laughs) I mean... And so I can remember going to high school and we didn't have air conditioning. Okay. Uh, You guys are used to that. We didn't have computers. We didn't have. So what is normal? You know, it's it's normal to your generation or the next generation or so on. What we've got to do is just hopefully help the younger people understand the mistakes that we've made and hopefully learn from that. And hopefully the new technology coming out, like with the pandemic, you know, where now we have, not only do we have vaccines, they're coming up with all types of other drug therapy that is shown to be successful against a pandemic like this. So we're very young on learning that stuff and also the new normal. I don't know if there ever is a normal. I think getting back to a situation where everybody feels comfortable I think that's a more likely scenario 
So just hopefully with continued education and us learning and uh, people being more tolerant of one another, hopefully we can go on and we won't make these mistakes again and hopefully we'll learn from the technology and everything and maybe in the future if we have another pandemic of this situation we'll be better prepared to handle it. And how can Oklahomans find the light um, and start to cope and deal with the racial heartache that is so prevalent today? It's hard for me to say (laughs) you know and and I'll be real honest because again like I said earlier I've been sheltered from a lot of it because of growing up in a small town and and everything. I hope and pray that we can uh, grow up as as our younger people grow up. Hopefully they can also um, look at things differently. They can look at the person next to them and not worry about the color of their skin, more about the content in their heart. And uh, I think if we can ever get to that point, I think that we're going to be better off. Is it going to happen tomorrow? No. Is it going to happen in the near future? Probably not. There's going to have to be a lot of change, a lot of looking back at the problems that we've had, but also kind of looking inside ourselves. And what do we want for the future? What what do I want for my kids as they grow up? What do I want for my grandkids as they grow up? You know, and hopefully we look past ourselves and we look in the future and hopefully we can look at things differently through eyes of what's going to go on in the future than what's going on right now. You've answered all the questions that we have. Um, Is there anything else that we didn't ask and should have or anything else that we need to know? No, I I can't think think of anything. I just appreciate you guys visiting with me and uh, I appreciate what you guys do. I listen to your podcast all the time, of course. We love uh, to hear that. (laughs) But uh, I think you guys are doing a great job and I I think you guys are um, putting some topics out there that really need to be thought about. And uh, I appreciate you guys taking the time to do that. Of course. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you. Thank you. All right. You have a good day. Thank you for listening to Survive and Thrive. In the next episode, we will hear from Tamia Killingsworth, a high school student, BLM advocate, and survivor of the 2013 Plaza Towers tornado. You can find us anywhere you listen to your podcast by searching Survive in OKLA. We are your hosts, Carolee and Brooklyn. Join us every Wednesday for new episodes. Also participating in this podcast project, are Kimberly Burke, our manager, Jesse Smith, researcher and writer, Ji Xuan Fan, the social media coordinator, and Miranda Vondale, our audio engineer. This podcast is presented by Gaylord News in collaboration with the Institute for the Study of Human Flourishing.